May the grace, mercy, and peace of our Heavenly Father through the power of the Holy Spirit enable and empower us for the good life found in following Jesus, our risen Savior and Good Shepherd. Amen. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, numbers. Our lives are filled with numbers. Each year we fill out our income taxes. Certainly that's an exercise in numbers, pages upon pages of numbers, earned numbers, spent numbers, invested numbers, saved numbers. When it's finally prepared, we send it off to the IRS with our social security number on it. And the IRS takes all those numbers, puts them in the computer with all the numbers of thousands and thousands of other people. And to them, we become a number. The government knows us by our tax number. The state knows us by our driver's license number. The bank knows us by our account number. And when we retire, we'll be remembered by our social security number. And it goes on and on. In fact, it seems like we're always known by a number. That's why this morning's gospel text really is so significant. Why it's such good news. Because it tells us that God knows us. He knows us intimately. He knows us even better than we know ourselves. In spite of the fact that the image of sheep and shepherd is foreign to our daily experience, the words of the gospel hearken for us a truth that our human hearts long to hear. That we are known by God and we are loved by God. He knows us by name. We sang that in our, in our hymn just a little bit ago. He even calls me by my name. He knows us. And when God knows us and loves us, we know that he will not abandon us. In spite of the senseless violence that seems to be such a big part of our everyday world, the innocent suffering and death that occur, our failures and our encounters with suffering, God wants us to know in the midst of all of it that he cares about us. God wants us to know that he loves us. He loves us with an everlasting love that calls us by name. That's the promise that God made with us from the beginning of time and that Jesus makes with us today. As he says, I know my own and my own know me. The good news is that we are more than just a number. In the midst of this uncertain world faced with unknown dangers, threatened by unpredictable events of evil and violence, we are known by God. We are loved by God. Whatever happens to us is not nearly as important as what happens in us. For God is greater than any danger we will ever face. But what makes Jesus the good shepherd? Is it because he takes care of us? Yes. But there are many others in this world who take care of us, right? Parents and grandparents, teachers, friends, neighbors, doctors, nurses, and many more. Is it because he looks out for us and protects us? Yes. But there are many others in this world who look out for us and protect us. The government, policemen, firemen, military, and more. Is it because he loves us? 
Yes, but there are others in this world who love us too. Husbands and wives, brothers and sisters, aunts, uncles, and so many more. Is it because he lays down his life for us? Again, yes, but there are others who have done that for you as well. First responders, soldiers who have given their lives for us, police officers. So what makes Jesus the good shepherd? Is it because he does those things better than all the rest? Or for more people than all the rest? Is it because he provides all those people for us and works through them for us? All that's certainly true. But none of it is the answer. The answer is simply this. Jesus is the good shepherd because he is the one, the only one, who can make us good and who can give us the good life. He is the good shepherd because he is the shepherd who is and who does good. Now, I'll explain what I mean by that because usually when we use that word good, we mean it as the opposite of bad. And that's a term that becomes open to interpretation, especially in these days when there are varying degrees of good, when we live in a world that says what's good for you may not be good for me. And so good becomes something that's in the eye of the beholder. But that's not what I mean by good here, because that's not what God's word means by good. Good, rather, is what the world was before sin. When God saw everything that he had made, behold, it was very good. Good is a world created in perfect harmony. Good is a right knowledge of God. Good is life unaffected by disease, uninterrupted by death, untouched by tragedy, and unstained by selfishness. Good is God's plan. The way it should be, but no longer is. And so it is to restore this good life in us. That's what Jesus came to do. All the other people in our lives who shepherd us, who care for us, who love us, who protect us, provide for us, look out for us, and so much else. They can sustain the life that we have. They can improve our life. They may even be able to lengthen this life but they cannot give us the life that we lack. For that, there is only one. The creator who made all things good, who has now come to make it good again, to recreate his broken and fallen world. And so the good shepherd does good and gives good. Healing the sick, giving sight to the blind, raising the dead, restoring creation. But these things are not an end in themselves, but simply to not, to, not to simply improve our lot in life here and now to make us healthy, wealthy, and wise, but rather these are signs of the greater making good that the Good Shepherd has come to do. The good of both body and soul. The good for both this life and the life to come. The good of the forgiveness of sins, giving us the good life. Now, before we go on, a warning here. Like St. Paul warned the Ephesian pastors in the reading that we heard from Acts, 
There are fierce wolves who would come after him and speak twisted things, twisting his words to deceive us and mislead us into false belief, despair, and other great shame and vice. And indeed, that has happened. It's happened a lot in, in what we understand what is meant by the good life that Jesus has come to give. Because there are some that would lead us to see that the good life and to misinterpret that in, in different ways. And there are two main ways that's done. First, there are those who hear these words, the good life, and think only of pleasure and ease, of indulgence and getting everything I want. That the good life means pleasuring myself to death, freedom from responsibility, and Jesus as this great Pez dispenser in the sky, giving us all the candy and riches of this world that we could desire, catering to our every wish and whim. We see that encouraged on TV. We even see TV preachers preaching this. And it's exactly what our old Adam, our sinful nature, wants to hear. But it's a twisting of God's word. The second... There are those who, who hear these words, the good life, and, and hear them in the opposite way. Hearing them as something that, that I have to do. That being a Christian means I have to live a good life. I have to live up to a certain standard. I have to do good. I have to be good. Good is as good does. But this, too, is a twisting of God's word. For both these things are the opposite of the good life. The first is called license, and the second is called legalism. The first is not the good life. It's what destroyed the good life in Eden. When Adam and Eve decided to indulge and eat the forbidden fruit, to do what ought not be done. And when we indulge, when we eat the forbidden fruits of this life and do what ought not be done, we are not living the good life, but rather we are dying. And for evidence of that, we just need to look around. Families dying, relationships dying, cultures dying. But the second is not the good life either. No matter how hard we try, we cannot fix a dying world. We cannot be the good that we need. Again, for this, there is only one. And so into this world then comes our Savior, Jesus, our Good Shepherd. To work a different work. To give us not the fullness of this dying life, but to give us the fullness of himself. The fullness of his life. The real good life. To forgive our sins and to give us new and eternal life. Both grace and gift. And so into your life comes your Savior, your good shepherd. To work this different work, this new work, this good work. That his dying and rising would be your forgiveness, would be your life, would be your salvation. That in holy baptism, you would be joined to him and his cross. That the old man in you would be slain and the new man be raised to new life. That in holy communion, the new man in you would be fed with the very body and blood of your good shepherd who gave his life for you, and now who puts his life in you. And that in holy absolution, this dying and rising with Christ would take place every single day. And that his death and atonement for your sins and his resurrection would be a present reality 
for you. A gift of new life, gift of the good life. Yes, even now. That's why the gospel is called the good news. That's why the works that we are, that the works that we do are called good works. That's why Jesus is our good shepherd. Not just because the gospel is better news than other news, or our good works are better than other good works, or our good shepherd is a better shepherd than other shepherds. For while all may be true, it's much more than that. It's that they are Easter good. New life good. Resurrection good good. New creation, good. Because it was not only in the beginning that God saw all he had made and it was very good, but now also in Christ, everything is good again. And so too, your life. Your life is the good life. For it is filled with good works, filled with forgiveness, filled with love. For you are filled with Christ and the fullness of his life. It's who you are. And so hear his, you hear his voice and you follow. He gives you eternal life. And even though we will all one day die, we will never perish. Because there is nothing that can snatch us out of his hand. Our good shepherd, who is greater than all, has made us his own. How good it is to be a part of his flock, now and for all eternity. Amen.